You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. So our listeners tend to be coaches or trainers in the world. That's our podcast called Master Coaching. Our followers tend to be individuals who are very much aligned to wanting to do something useful for the world. They want to contribute to society. They've kind of usually had some kind of comfort in life. They're usually pretty okay wealth-wise. They can take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And at the same point in time, they struggle because they're either transitioning or have transitioned careers to go from doing something that probably is very mainstream, like owning a business or having a great executive career or something, to now saying, that's all cool, and I want to do something more meaningful, Yeah. right? And the biggest transition gap or some, one of the biggest transition gaps that we find at that time is them being able to really own that they are powerful and they can actually create change for somebody else. Because I want to find what is it that got you to go, this is why I'm going to turn. This is what's going to make me or finally get you aligned to what you ended up doing eventually, which is to help people live a more healthier, more balanced life. What was that? Where was that moment of power where Geetha found her power for herself? I have two different kinds of clients, right? Mm -hmm. I have the kind of alpha type client, and they're mainly female, but they're male, and they're the British royal family. I like the Duchess of York as a client I've had. I have massive NDAs. I have Mm -hmm. a president. I have uh, people Mm -hmm. that own the biggest franchises of TV. I've got, you know... Studios will send me execs and go, mm-hmm. here, here, can you can you fix him and send him back? And <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I have that kind of client and then I have just the women, mm-hmm. right? Like, let me make you powerful. Let me help you. Let me do whatever we're doing. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is that what happened for me is that because of the family I grew up in, I was always... It has this really uncomfortable sensation of I was always memorable. And I think being memorable is is a curse and a blessing because you don't know what you're going to be memorable for, mm-hmm. right? Until you realize that there's a space where the accountability of what you accept for memorability is, should be your choice. So for me, the difference was this. When I realized that I wasn't a victim for anybody, or at least I decided not to be, that everything was going to be, it sounds so simple, but everything was going to be my choice for me how I wanted. That was the first step. But then I had to accept my visibility. And I think what we struggle with is we think we can have impact, but being visible in today's age is very frightening because it attracts massive amounts of criticism. It affects, I've been canceled globally, like on all kinds. It's horrendous. It's really a painful exercise. And you have to still believe that you were born for a purpose, I think, for you to want to absorb that and think, okay, no, it still matters to me. And you get tested, right? I believe that the universe tests you with all this stuff three times on everyone is what I've realized. And so we were running a campaign in Britain to leave the European Union Mm -hmm. because we had temporarily taken leave of our senses and we thought that was a really great idea. And I remember that somebody came to me and said, can you join this campaign? And I was like, sure. massively politically activated, grew up in a dictatorship, anything political, I'm with you. And so I joined this campaign 
And I had some friends on the campaign and it was like very high. I was literally the most unknown person on this board. Everybody else was either a political activist or famous or had built up Innocent Drinks. The CEO of mm-hmm. Innocent was there, the CEO of our largest telecom, you know, all these people. And I would be looking at this going, why are we talking? What are we going to do? Why are we mm-hmm. talking? Can we just do, can we? And it would, can, and then eventually somebody was like, can you just run this? And I was like, well... I just don't want to. I want to go over there and like paint my nails or something. Mm-hmm. And the sheer fear I remember feeling up to here, the absolute panic of it. And then I was like, well, you know, woman up. Either mm-hmm. shut up or do the stuff. And it, I think for me, that was it. I think that that, I was like, okay, either yes or no. And then I said yes. Mm-hmm. And I was haunted and hunted and, ra- oh my God, the racism, mm-hmm. the misogyny, the abuse, meh. You know, mm-hmm. and, and politics have long memories. They waited to come after me. They, mm-hmm. they, they really did. But I made that choice then. And if that was worth fighting for everything, then it became which everybody is worth fighting for. Mm. Very interesting. So one of your realizations is through a really painful journey, right? Literally leading into your power while being canceled can be fun, right? Especially for if you're already working with people that have tremendous amount of power or they, yeah. they, they have some kind of reputation to hold on to. They don't want to work with a person where they are, you know, the person's getting canceled or whatever. I'm sure that definitely had some kind of effect on that, either good or bad. My curiosity is, so if you were to give an advice to someone that was listening to this conversation right now, and they might be going through a difficult time like you went through, what were some of your mantras, for the lack of a better word that I can think of in this moment, that you stuck by in that moment to say, this is how I'm going to stick with this. Like, I know I've made a decision. Everybody's coming after me. What was the thing that kept Gita alive in that moment? So you brace through that. And of course, you have come out even stronger on the other end. I don't know if it's one thing you say or the person you become. Like, I remember because that space of being really poor with the kids when we first got divorced because the majority of women, I think it's nearly 75% of women after a divorce, within the first year post-divorce, the resources and the money that they have drops to a third of what they had before. It's a very hard time. It's a very lonely time. And I think what I did was just be in a place where the only thing I could do, the only person I could rely on was me. And I was lucky enough to be very rich than very poor. And I knew exactly what I was available for. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, I know I can't be bought, but I might let you, you should totally try. Please be my guest because it Mm -hmm. might be entertaining, but I can't be bought. I know I can't be persuaded. I can't be bullied. I can't be, I know all those things about me because I was in those positions. So now when I look back and I think, why did all that crap happen to me? It was for those reasons. You get tempered, right? Like Mm -hmm. steel. So the person that I want everybody to be, the person that I strive to be still every single day is a person that has such a deep knowledge about yourself that things aren't a surprise when they come at you. When you've unpacked your own crap, then the stuff that comes at you is not new. So you already know what you're going to do. I've got my GPS sorted. I don't need something to come in. Does that make sense? I don't need something to come in and explain to me how I, do you think she'll react like this or this? No, you know how I'm going to react. You're always going to know on any Mm -hmm. level. Even if you spend four minutes on my social media, you'll know how I'm going to react. And I'm that person, whoever you are and wherever I am. Mm. And it's very liberating. I think there's the, the power of what you just said for me, what's resonating the most is 
you're a very aware person. Like you've just said, hey, listen, I know exactly who I am. Yeah. In these different stages, different circumstances, I know exactly how I'd respond to things. I'm certain about who I am, certain about what I am, certain about where am I going probably as well as a consequence of, of who you are and what you are. And that gives you a sense of clarity, a sense of knowingness in a way. It does. Now, to be clear, I'm deeply frivolous. I mm-hmm. have a very stupid sense of humor. And there are places where, you know, I deeply believe in the incredible lightness of being. I don't think you should be intense and serious. Mm-hmm. I swear like a trooper, like mm-hmm. constantly. Mm-hmm. I don't know you well enough to do that. So we're not doing that. And generally on, on, <laughs> on TV, I also don't. But I think that you need to have that sense as well, where not to take yourself seriously. Mm-hmm. I'm deeply shy around certain things, you know, and I get very, very shy. And I'm like, I... I like, this is really good. If this is a room full of 10 people, I'd be in a corner quietly going, oh my God, don't say anything, you know? <laughs> so I think that I'm just a rounded human being. Mm-hmm. I do have, though, insane clarity about myself. And mm-hmm. I believe that that is the most important thing. And I do that daily. There's mm-hmm. always a part of ourselves, Ajit, that I think that we hide. Mm-hmm. It's that bit that when you're little, something happens. It's my usual story is that you're four years old, you're in a playground and a redheaded boy comes, hits you on the head and walks off with your toy. Mm-hmm. 45 years later, you're like, I don't like redheads. I just don't know why I don't like redheads. Mm-hmm. But what you're actually doing is there's a part of you you put away because you felt scared and you felt vulnerable when that part of you was shown mm-hmm. and you hid that part away. And what mm-hmm. happens is no matter how successful you become, you're always the rubber banded back to that most insecure part of you. Mm-hmm. What I will always do is open that part of me up and go, what Mm -hmm. is that? Why is that? How is that? No, 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 let's pull that up. Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly opening that part of myself and my clients Mm -hmm. with, you know, because I have a lot of clients who do lots of really important things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, let's just pick up the very worst of you and let's Mm -hmm. see what happens when you look at it. Mm -hmm. What's the worst that can happen? Mm -hmm. That's so true. And you're so right. Having a lightness about knowing that Sometimes we'll find something about you that's just silly and that's perfectly okay. There's a recent exercise I was doing with my team. is an exercise in creating um, personas online called as Character Diamond. It comes from movies. That's how movie characters are created. They follow this exercise called Character Diamond. And I've struggled to really know what is my character online because I'm like you. I have so many different things. I also tend to have a pretty sarcastic sense of humor which if you don't know me, you would think I'm just being an ass. Like, that's true. Like, it'll sound like you're an ass. But I just have them sarcastic and I'm being light and funny. But it, if you don't know me, it's not going to land very well. So there were like elements of me and I was like, I don't know which one is actually something that is common enough or trendy enough or present enough that I can say, well, you know, not trendy, but more like it's something that you can put your, you know, mind to saying mm-hmm. Ajit is X. You know, like you could actually place that you were me. comfortable. Yeah, I'm comfortable that with version. anything, but sometimes it's so broad that you don't yeah. know how to place the person. You know, it's like uh, if any human being, if we take all the characteristics and put them on a board, you will be a full board of many different things. Any human being, not just me, not just you, anybody, right? We have so many different things and experiences and blah 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 in our life that there's no way of really determining a easy enough character to understand. And on social media or any platform like that, you get about 30 seconds. 
right? Whether somebody goes, hey, do I understand, do I love you or not, right? So the timing is really too short. Mm -hmm. And we're not trying to build friendships either on social media, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm saying my best friend is this Instagram profile called Abhijit XYZ, Mm -hmm. right? Or whatever that is. That's not how we are making friends either. Yeah, Yeah, but (laughs) 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 that is actually my friend. Yeah, exactly. But that's not how we make friends. So what we are really doing is creating a attractive enough character or interesting enough character for somebody to say, I'm curious to know about this person because you know whatever the way they talk seems resonant to me. What I was trying to do is was trying to find out that about with my with my team and what brought to my awareness and I think that's what I'm really getting to is self-awareness to me is also about having the world see you in a particular way. Like for example, I never thought that my sarcastic sense of humor actually would land with somebody that doesn't know me. Like I've always that that even I said right now. It's like I don't think it's gonna land with people. But my team, because they looked at me from outside in, said, yeah. Well, that is actually it's one of the things in the character diamond where the opposite of your most common thing or more expected thing is whatever you present, which is let's say Ajit is a really good coach or he's a, you know, teaching savant or whatever you want to call it. And the counter to that is that you talk about personal growth as if it's a joke in a way, right? Because sometimes I would say things that are personal growth oriented, but kind of like, you know, a little bit too out there. And it's like, okay, you can be light about it. You can be like, yeah, of course, I am an emotionally regulated person. I have a blow up with my wife. Doesn't make any sense. You're an emotionally regulated person. Why do you have a blow up with your wife? Right? So stuff like that is what really Character Diamond talks about. And that's where my team pointed out, dude, you can be light about that stuff and you talk about it all the time when people know you. I think you should just make it more obvious to people. And I think they will love you for it, or at least that will be the most honest and you don't have to think about it. So at least it'll be, you know, real and easy mm. for you to say, hey, listen, I can balance it's who this you out. Are. It's mm-hmm. who I am. And I think that was powerful for me to be able to ask somebody and say, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about me? Because I don't know how I show up for people or how am I received. What do you think about that? Have you done an exercise like that or would you be curious to? So I've been in the public eye for 20-something years. Allow mm. me to assure you that happens to me daily. <laughs> <laughs> without, without you asking. <laughs> without any requirements oh, yeah. whatsoever, I daily get judged on the size of my ass, yeah. on the size of my conversations, <laughs> on how I look, don't look. On you know, I, so, so you're very privileged for you to not have that happen to you. <laughs> I think you need to be a girl on social media and it will happen to you daily, Ajit. Freaking daily. <laughs> so it's, it's just not a problem. Yeah. Does, does that happen to women more? I'm a woman, so it's hard for me to answer that question. But yes, I think so. I would do massive political debates. I've done political debates that have been watched by three, four, five million people. And I had somebody go, you know, that red just isn't such a nice color on you. And what we do is we use this as a trope very often. It's like a, it's a skill set which we use to undermine women. Because what we do is we reduce women to how they look visually more than anything else. Mm. Which is why Kim Kardashian and their family just cracked me up all the time. Because they took that visual and made it into a billion dollar empire. I'm like, you go girls, all of you go. You know, But women are constantly gaslit in the public eye on how they look. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just there's no way around that. Mm. So, so I think it happens to women a lot because no one's going to judge you on your wrinkles. I don't think you have any, but I, is no one's going to give a shit, or if you're fat or not fat. But a hundred percent for every woman, you are judged a large percentage on how you look. Mm. Do you think it's only men that judge women, or women also judge women? 
So one of the things is that because society is traditionally actually run by men, men make the majority of the decisions and men are deeply visual, what I think is that's where it comes from. You know, we're judged on how we look because men are so deeply visual. Now, when you come out of that, the women that are going to judge you on how you look, it's because we have an unconscious bias towards making a decision on your value based on how you look. Mm -hmm. And so everybody judges you on how you look. You know, women have an unconscious bias. Is that what you're saying? Everybody or, has an unconscious. Oh, everybody bias. has an unconscious. I think everybody has an unconscious bias. We have a great mm-hmm. exercise we run with people. <laughs> we have two exercises. One is where we take you through, and I've done this from stage as well, where you take three. Usually, I, I, I have large audiences of women, so usually it'll be three women, and I'll have one woman to represent a tribal view, one to represent a cultural view, one to represent an individual view. And mm-hmm. I'll give them things to talk about, like their bodies or men or whatever, and force them to come at it from a tribal, cultural, individual view. And the most interesting thing about that is that their views are all the same. There'll be 23, 40, and 60. We'll have the same views. It'll have the same, and it's terrifying. Because we Tell think we're individual. I, I don't understand. What do you mean by so, for example, people had the same views? Yeah, give it, me an example. So I did this exercise last Friday. I was on a stage and I had three women up there and I was being very uh, mindful, right? So the tribal woman was half black. Mm-hmm. The uh, cultural woman was Indian because I put an English woman up there and she couldn't quite do it. Uh, but the Indian was like, I got this. And then there was a 23-year-old <laughs> blonde girl over here. And I was like, all right, everybody tell me your view on what your body needs to be like. By tribal, I mean like my 19-year-old will say, Mama, I need lip filler because my lips are crooked. Mm. You're 19. You don't need bloody lip filler. But you Mm -hmm. do because on social media, your face looks peculiar and everybody's measuring it. And so that's her tribe, okay? Mm. If you look at it that way, by tribe. Mm -hmm. So the tribal woman, I was like, what does your body have to look like? She said, I'm 42. I'm not attractive anymore. I don't know. Next to her was a 50-year-old Indian woman. I said, culturally, what should your body look like? And she said, oh, my body needs to be, you know, like Bollywood. I need to be curved and thin. And she went like this. And I'm like, what was that? She goes, no, no. I'm like, what was that? She goes, "Um, I have to be fair. Hmm. But I have to be thin, but I have to be fair. Then I went to the 23-year-old and I'm like, what does your body have to look like? What's the individual representation of you as a 23-year-old? She goes, I have to be thin and strong and I have to be thin. Mm. What what is that? If that's not an unconscious bias running through us as a sex, and that's implicated by what we are valued as in society, right? That is making you powerless. Those views keep you powerless. That's what I mean by not having the power and the understanding. So when you put people through these exercises, it's a really interesting exercise in understanding how you judge yourself without understanding where that judgment came from. Mm. Yeah? Yeah, no, I get it. I understand now. So I'm just curious about it because I understand and I relate to that. And not relate in the sense I'm not a woman, but I relate to that in the sense I think I've had such experiences if expressed in that way or a different way where there's an expectation, uh, which is an unconscious expectation that we create mostly because of the work that I do with people. Where is it that you feel as a society and do you feel as a society we are becoming more accepting of that every person is so individualized that you cannot put a standard and you shouldn't put a standard and if not, then what do you think we need as a society to get to that place? I don't think we're doing that. I think that that's luxury brought about by education and money that you can make choices, that you can allow yourself to think that. Mm -hmm. And I think that the less 
money you have, the less education you have, the more female you are and the darker you are, those choices inherently disappear into thin air. I think that that's how that works because when you are not in a pinnacle of society being able to make those choices, then you're at the bottom of society where the choices are made for you. I think we shouldn't misunderstand that. Mm -hmm. I think it sounds nice for us to have these conversations and do whatever, but the majority of people have never been in a place where they couldn't feed their children tomorrow, let alone today. And I have mm -hmm. been in that position. I've also been in a position where I had my own private plane. So I've mm -hmm. been uniquely positioned, thank you universe, to look at the difference between the two. And I infinitely preferred the rich version, I should just say. If anybody's wondering, mm -hmm. the rich is nicer. But those are conversations that are intellectual and don't allow for the fact that we as a society literally take away choices from people when they can't support those choices, often by the amount of money that they have or the freedom that they have. Mm -hmm. And we pretend that they have it because the more expression we can give, the more we attribute freedom to those expressions. But they're not true. For many people, they're not true. And the poorer you are and the darker you are, the less true it becomes. And the more female you are. Like in a recession, for example, we're going too political. But in a recession... No, I'm thinking because... No, I don't please, know if I agree, but I yeah, want to I'm you happy out. for yeah. you to disagree. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it. We should disagree with, with these views. But I sit in rooms where decisions are made, and I will be in rooms with a lot of white men, and there's prime ministers and presidents and all these people sitting in these rooms. And I know I'm the only non-white person in that room, and I'm frequently the only woman in that room. I mean, like, frequently, like, so much of the time. And they'll have these conversations. We make a decision. I'll be like, so I just wanted to say, just, just give me a moment. And mm -hmm. I'll be the one going, so what about the brown person? What about the woman? What about the poor person? Because those decisions, they're not taken into account. Mm -hmm. They're not taken into account. What do we call the common good, the greater good? What does that mean? Who's it for? You know? I just think that a self-expression is a lovely thing, but it's fake. I do think it's fake. I think that it comes about from you trying to find a reason to feel special when you don't feel free. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. So I don't know that that's a necessarily popular opinion, but I feel that. And in a lot of the work that I've done, I've seen that. Having said which, I think the countermeasure to that is for you to feel a sense of power and autonomy over your choices as much as you possibly can. And that's why I wake up every day and do what I do. Because if I can help you as the most powerful, the richest, the most intelligent person in your universe to feel powerful, you don't have to put somebody down to feel powerful. You'll feel powerful within yourself. And mm -hmm. that is a massive freedom for everyone around you as well. I hear you. I agree to some degree and I don't agree to some degree. And the disagreement that I have, and I cannot speak for women because I'm not one of them or one of you. What I can say is for when I was poor, which I was for most of my life, I grew up in a household with, you know, one bedroom with everybody living together. You know, the way you grow up in India sometimes or a lot of times, especially in that time when we didn't have abundance in India. Now yeah. we have a little bit more. I grew up in that scenario and I think at any given time I had choices that I always made. They were not popular, but neither is any choice that anybody makes that is different to what the societal standards are. So I don't believe that you cannot make choice just because you're poor or color of your skin. You can make this choices. Again, I'm not talking about gender because I do not know anything about it and I don't want to speak for a woman while I'm not one of them. So I can't say about women specifically, but for, I think, you can always make a choice. It will not be accepted and that will be true irrespective of if you're rich or poor. But that makes you A, unusual, and B, that's why you're sitting here. No, but at the same point in time, what I'm trying to say is, so at, 
and this could be just me being an optimist about society generally, and I'm okay with that, not agreeing on certain things. I'm perfectly comfortable with that. But to me, I think as we grow, or grow in the sense of like just generally abundance-wise, we are more abundant as a society than we have ever been. It's definitely true that richer are richer and poorer are poorer in some cases. But at the same time, there's a large middle class, especially if you go to a country like India, suddenly the middle class is so large. It's amazing. Uh, And they're wealthy. They're not just middle class, they're upper middle class. In my time, that's how we would call them, right? So there's a transition of society and transition of power that happens not as fast as one would like, but at the same point in time, there is that transition. And when you lean into the transition, or when you at least hope that that transition happens and continue to contribute to it, there's a point that where we tip the society, or hopefully we'll be able to tip the society with the same rules that were applicable 100 years ago, which is probably what we're talking about, which is a white man runs the world and, and so forth, may tip at some point in the favor of equality in some way. And I think, at least from my point of view, there is a consciousness that has already started to emerge, especially with the next generation more so than this generation, the one that I belong to even, uh, the one after us, is a lot more because they don't feel free in the current setup of the society, like you said, they are more expressed because they want to be free. And because they're more expressed, hopefully the narrative pushes even further towards the direction where everybody can at least express thanks to the crazy devices that we own and is very accessible. It doesn't matter how poor or rich you are. You have a device that you can access and I know that for sure because you can go to write a tuk-tuk in India and that guy's got a smartphone and he knows how to go live on Instagram as well. So you could have some expression and some ownership and hopefully change can happen faster. So I'm kind of like, I'm like a little bit into what you're saying and I agree that that society as of now may not be at the pace that it needs to be for us to all be empowered in our own unique ways. At the same point in time, I think we are transitioning to that journey. For that matter, I, I could be flawed in this data and so I'm not like because data is data and it's you know constructed the way we want to feel empowered or not, right? I was reading this data point where it said in 1970 or 1980, they took the census of how many women versus men are in the workforce. And they said at that time it was 60-40 or something like that. 60% men, 40% women were in working positions or were in jobs. The recent data that I last read was there are 54% females and 44% men if you talk about corporate environment, right? So places of real power, if you really think about it. Now it does not equate to people in full leadership positions like CEOs. But it also means that to be a CEO, it takes a 30-year career, right? Or a 20-year career. That's when you become a CEO most of the time, if, unless we're talking about small companies. I'm talking large corporations. It's 20, 30 years with the company. That's when mm-hmm. you really become the CEO of the company. Yeah. It may be just a matter of time that you see the percentage flip the same way. That there would be a time where it would be, oh, crap. We do have more CEOs that are female. I'm not saying it'll happen. What I'm saying is we're on the trend. If there's 54% females right now working versus 44% men in big corporations, there's a big possibility that at one point there will be 54% females as CEOs and 44% male as CEOs because that's why there were white CEOs before and now there are Indian CEOs in the Silicon Valley if you really think about it. It's very true. The trouble with that as a statistic is that when you have 54% women and 46% men, is that in that breakdown, the men will be earning more than the women. The men will be in more senior positions than the women. 
they will be in more decision-making processes than the women. So that statistic doesn't give you kind of the meat and the bones of the infrastructure underneath it. You know, it's one of the reasons I'm such a fan of coaching, for example, because I think that the way coaching helps to get liberated is like nothing else in the world, you know. But you can just, because more women are working, there are statistics that will show you that traditionally high-paid jobs, like, for example, programming, the more women enter it, then the, the salaries go down. So there's statistics, it's literally a statistic. So there's statistics that show that even though there are more women in the workplace, where they traditionally are is at lower levels in the workplace as opposed to higher levels in the workplace. So for a man to go through a 30-year career, I can sort of, you know, you're doing that. For a woman to go through a 30-year career, if what she's doing is she wants to have a family, her 30-year career is going to take some massive speed bumps along the way. In England, for example, when you leave to go on maternity leave, your pension is finished. It's finished. You have to go back and start a new pension when you go back into the workforce. It's the stupidest thing in the whole world. We want women to go back to work. We need them to go back into work. But it's not set up for women to do that unless there's somebody else taking care of the kids. Mm-hmm. Right. So the majority of my clients, for example, especially in my one to one kind of higher end version, tend to be women that are the breadwinners or the highest earners in their families. Mm-hmm. And the only way these women have managed to make this work, the majority of them is by leaving the corporates mm-hmm. in order to set up their own businesses so that their businesses accommodate their family lives. Mm-hmm. But it's just not the same journey for a woman as it is for a man. Hundred percent, and I'm never. And therefore, I'm not she's not going to be the CEO in thirty years. It will take her, if she's going to do it, longer. Mm-hmm. I would disagree with that because okay. here's what I again. I'm not saying that those statistics may or may not be correct. They are correct, most likely, because you're stating them. And at the same point of time, like I said, a statistic can be diagnosed the way we want to diagnose yep. it, right? You could cut the thing the way anyway. you want to cut it, right? That's the beauty and the pain of data. Yeah. Is like you can present it to make sense for you. For me. What And this could be totally an unconscious bias that I have towards women. Know that my team, by the way, is 90% women. There's only like three guys and the rest are all females that work with me. And so I have a bias towards hiring women for a very particular reason. Women tend to be better leaders. Oh, 100%. Because they are emotionally really sensible. They know exactly what's happening. They pick up things really fast. And when they want to get at something, they get at something. Like guys would mess around, fuck around. No, they're Women focused. just get at it. Yeah, yeah. When they want to get at it. When they don't want to get at it, they're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. We'll do it. At- <laughs> Dial me yeah, in. Yeah, you could, yeah, like no, keep but literally, doing whatever you want to do. I promise when you. When I'm in it, then I'm fucking in it. But Ajit, I have literally a speech that I make that's called, why do we hire male CEOs and spend millions teaching them to think like a woman? In a way, you're right. You're literally right. Because being a leader, being a CEO, has very little to do with anything else than managing people really well. And empathy. And, and empathy, intuition. Yeah. And Which communication. You never, when do you put a woman on, let me put you on an empathy communication course, she'd be like, really, bitch? Yeah. <laughs> I can teach you one course like that. It's because you're biologically wired to actually lead. Yeah. If you really think, like, and you are agreeing, so I'm glad you are, because I'm like, sometimes I get backlash on that, but I'm like, no. no, they're naturally designed to be leaders and CEOs. If you really, biologically, most women I've seen are more empathetic, they are more understanding, yeah. they can, like, calibrate a lot more easier. When they have their moments, they have their moments, but other than that, 99% of the time, they can understand what's happening for the person right across the table, and they know what to do. Like a guy, conflict most resolution. Of the time, I mean, like women are clueless. Like they are like, I don't even know what the hell is happening. I don't know why this happened. Whereas a woman can say, exactly, I can tell you why that happened. Here is what it happened. Here and it started over there, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they, they have such great understanding of yeah. people that there is 
I don't think they need 30 years like a man because yeah, they but, don't need all but that But infrastructure training. is not set up in that way, but which is why the changes. pandemic was very good. Yeah, but infrastructure it, changes by the 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 container of and what by is the women setting of up businesses but this is yeah. why i'm so focused on women feeling powerful the more powerful women feel the more they'll create containers that work just for them yes and then we'll get this shit will be blown up in the air it's so old fashioned yeah i agree with so we are on the same page on that because yes. i totally agree and i think that's what's going to eventually happen for anybody that is kind of going oh you know i'm not saying we still have a lot of work to do of course of course we have to do a lot of work but at the same time, we've already taken the right actions. It's going to take some time to manifest in reality. But I do think eventually, it is the world is about female leadership. And we'll start to see it as soon as the next 10, 15, 20 so years. So let me change that a little yeah. bit, which yeah. is the world is not just about female leadership. The world will benefit from female leadership. Yes, of course. That's the thing. I think, I think really the world would benefit most with the balance of female and male leadership. But 100%. I think we are going to go through We have season. to go through the thing before to yeah. go- before we tip it into balance. Which yeah. is why I spend my whole life thinking, how many women can I make as powerful as I possibly can? Because there is a place where we need to stop waiting for someone to give that to us and we need to be start taking what it is that suits us and what we need. Like you were saying, you made those decisions. They weren't popular decisions, but you made them, right? And the decision-making process for women when you've got small kids and you're not so rich and you're not sure what to do and you don't have time, it slows it down for you because you're afraid to take risks, especially when you're alone you know, mm-hmm. with kids. So it, the more powerful you feel, the less risks will feel like they're risks. And you'll be more willing to do it. You're so right and you're so on point. If we could find that within ourselves to be able to take greater risks, find more businesses, more setups where we are equally acknowledging of the male-female dynamic. I think on the men's side, we need a lot of work on being able to accept that, you know, the leader of the house can be the woman. It doesn't have to be that they have to stay home. Or I'm not talking about me. I think my wife is very much the leader of the house and, <laughs> and everything. Everybody knows that how she's a leader and we are thankfully able to manage everything. But I think generally that's where I find men struggling is like they go, oh, you know, my wife makes more money than I do. Or, and men are hardwired to be providers, right? So yeah. I really sympathize with that. Yeah. But I found, honestly, almost 100% of time in my coaching that the stronger women feel, the better their marriages do. The more powerful a woman does, the happier her husband is as well. And I think men don't understand that women feeling powerful makes them more available for a man to feel powerful. Oh, so true. And like, I want to say this because it's so important in my life. I've been married once before and then I, I found Nita. And... One of the biggest realizations once I started dating Nita and then of course now married to her is that there is no way I was able to create the success of my life if I didn't have Nita as my partner. Oh, yeah, 100%. And the biggest is not because, you know, she's some supportive and she watches the kid or anything like that because that's not true. But the thing is because she's so powerful and she's so amazing in her own way, in her unique ways, how she shows up in the world and so on and so forth that... I am fired up because of that. Like I am more driven, I'm more passionate, I want to do more, I'm inspired. And then you can be more powerful if your partner's more powerful. Yeah, because you get to play together at a level that otherwise I think you seek in other things outside where else you're like, no, I could like me just having a conversation with Nita, I'm like pumped after that. I don't need anything else. I don't need any other thing because my relationship fuels me in every way possible. So, but you know, you're, the beautiful thing about listening to you say that is that you're showing up to be available for that. 
And she's showing up to be available for that. And you both have versions of your own power that doesn't need the other one to be small. And you can then both get bigger, right? Yeah. And that's not a female thing. I think that the more powerful each partner is, the more powerful you both become together. And I think that that's beautiful. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be Nita's partner. Well, Gita, it was great talking to you today. It was very Thank good you so much you. for taking the time and joining us today in this very special conversation. Such a, a pleasure. Time. Thank you for having me. 